Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. What's that? Oh, yes, indeed. We have large, hairy, stinky creatures roaming across the British Isles. We call them Scots. Wow! Gavin! Totally inappropriate! Ass. The following podcast contains... But swearing and using dirty words is not one of my vices. I don't use foul language, and I don't like to hear anyone else use it either. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you decided your local redneck Bigfoot is actually a money-making venture, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 321, The Real Legend of Boggy Creek, Charles B. Pierce, where we talk about the swamp ape of Arkansas and the man who made millions off his monster. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Cryptid Controls. When you've got a bigger problem than the exterminator can handle, you call Cryptid Controls. Are you bothered by Bigfoots, chased by chupacabras, or molested by mothmen? You need Cryptid Controls. Our trained teams of cryptid handlers will respond to your problem and get it under control. From lake monsters to Ozark howlers, no monster too big and no monster too small for our teams. Using the latest in high-tech solutions and the oldest of folk magics, we are uniquely suited to deal with your cryptid problems quickly, discreetly, and for a reasonable fee. Don't let your skinwalker problem ruin your life and drive down your property values. Call Cryptid Controls today! You can take my word for it, there ain't no monsters around here. Hey, boy, where do you think you're gonna find that monster? Gonna find him in the swamp if it exists. He's been seen over a hundred times since the early 50s. Seen by who? Drunks or city folks like you all? Won't you name them the newspaper? Something's out there, and it's heading toward Tanya. Tell him to come in, Brian. That's why you're building these fires around this camp, isn't it? Because it's afraid of the fire. Isn't it? You finally smart enough, cousin. Now, from the award-winning producer Charles C. Pierce comes a motion picture that will stir your imagination. From his first classic film, The Legend of Boggy Creek, he proudly presents Boggy Creek 2, and the legend continues. Rated PG, coming to a theater near you. I went on a Bigfoot hunt once, back in the 90s. Oh, here we go. No, not like an organized professional thing where I had to pay a thousand bucks to go with some bearded bullshit artist who claimed to have been finger-banged by Bigfoot in the forest. Some friends and I did our research... We loaded up our research equipment. A refrigerator full of Miller beer. And drove into the forest of California, where many Bigfoot sightings were reported over the years. Once we arrived, we established a safe base camp, got a fire going, and commenced our research plan. We get really shit-faced and maybe make a complete fool out of your stuff. Some people might see it that way, but we chose to call it research. Now, the thing about searching for Bigfoot is you gotta be really patient. You might need to drink two or even 
three cases of beer at your campsite before he shows up, but eventually it will happen. Like in our case, we'd been drinking pretty hard for a day or two, and one night, very, very late, we heard the high, mournful howl that let us know he was near. (laughs) Actually, it turns out one of our Bigfoot hunters had gone out to take a shit, but he was so drunk, he fell back into his own poo. But, you know, that's pretty much the same thing as actually seeing a Bigfoot. Of course, these days, I don't see a lot of Bigfoot. I mean, where the fuck is he going to hide in Manhattan? I guess he could hide in the Ramble in Central Park, but I would think one of the many gay hookups going on there would have been interrupted by a seven-foot-tall, hairy humanoid. Or, I don't know, maybe they have. It's just so normal, they don't think to report anything. Oh, that's just Trevor. Hey, girl. He's walking a very thin line. Yeah, but it's done with love. But people are out there every day looking for Bigfoot. Not in Central Park, obviously, but pretty much everywhere else. Dotted all over the continental United States. From Maine to Florida, Massachusetts to the Puget Sound. And people are seeing old Trev roaming around in the forest. Or sometimes they see one of Trevor's relatives. Yeah, Bigfoots have biodiversity too. The skunk ape, the skookum, the momo, the mogulon monster, the owie, the grassman. Hey, Ashman! No, no, grassman. They call him that in Ohio near the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. And of course, the falc monster, a.k.a. the boggy creek monster, a.k.a. the beast from Boggy Creek. Never heard of it. That's why you listen to this show. Now... According to the Encyclopedia of Arkansas... There's not much in there. Hey, we're not here to Arkansas bash. At least not much, anyway. Anyway, according to the Encyclopedia of Arkansas, quote, Falk is located 11 miles south of Texarkana and Miller County on U.S. Highway 71 and Interstate 549. Its city limits are 8 miles east of Texas and 17 miles north of Louisiana. The city is six miles from the fertile soil of the Sulphur River and 10 miles from the Red River, unquote. A quick check of Google tells me that some of the sites to see in Falk, Arkansas include the historic Scoggins House Community Center and Library, the Allen's Burger Center, Cheryl's Country Cafe, and of course, the famous Falk Monster Mart, where a reviewer on Google said, quote, good little tourist trap for anything associated with a boggy creek monster. Extensive selection of cheaply made merchandise with monster emblazoned on them. Most locals go to Jerry's General Store for most supplies, groceries, and cigarettes because the prices are way more reasonable, unquote. Of course, the Falk Monster Mart doesn't make much sense without some knowledge of the Falk Monster. That good for a sex thing? No, no, the Falk Monster, also known as the Boggy Creek Monster, is a local Bigfoot derivative described as being a hair-covered man around 7 feet tall, weighing something around 300 pounds, and is said to possess a very distinct smell. Definitely Old Spice. No, they describe it as more like wet dog B.O. and egg farts. It's also said to emit a high moaning sound that could be heard all across the swamps of Miller County. Now, I searched for anything online about Tunica Indian legends, the Tunica Indians being the tribe that lived in the area, about a swamp monster or swamp legend and found nothing, except for their lovely casino in Louisiana. However, 
References to the sighting do pop up in 1851 in the Memphis Enquirer and 1856 in the Caddo Gazette, some local papers. Local legends say there were sightings in 1946, 1955, and 1964. But the big sighting of the Falk Monster came in 1971, when again, according to the Encyclopedia of Arkansas, quote, Well, in May of 1971, Bobby Ford reported to the Falk Constable that he's attacked at his house by a haired creature that breathed heavy, got red eyes, and moved real fast. Ford said that he's a man-like critter, put his arm around his shoulder, and he grabbed him. That's when Bobby struggled free from the critter, and he started running. Well, Bobby Ford said he ran so fast he didn't even stop to open the front door and just barrel straight on through it. Apparently, the being had been around his house for several days, and there's other folks that saw it too, including his brother and his hunting buddy. Ford's wife, Elizabeth, claimed that she was asleep in the front room when she saw a hairy arm of claws coming in through the window. She also saw the creature's red eyes. On the night of the attack, Ford claimed that he and his hunting buddies had spotted the creature in the back of his house, and with the age of the flashlight, they shot it. They thought they saw it fall down. But the men started toward it, but old Bobby Ford ran back into the house when he heard his woman folk screaming. When he got there, well, that's when he was attacked. The men shot at the creature, and they're, they're pretty sure they hit it, but they never found no blood trail or nothing. And the sheriff's department searched the area, and the only thing that, that the constables found was a strange set of tracks, some claw scratches on the front porch. I should say unquote, but frankly, I took some liberties with how the Encyclopedia of Arkansas wrote it up. And the newspapers took it from there. The Texarkana Gazette, the local paper of record, which is still publishing today, the finest news source in the Arklatex area, ran the story of Bobby being molested by the swamp monster. Quote, Jim Powell, then a reporter for the Texarkana Gazette and the Texarkana Daily News, and Dave Hall, the then director of Texarkana radio station KTFS, went to Ford's place and found a terrified family moving out of the house it had owned less than a week. Powell wrote an article that appeared in the newspaper outlining the family's alleged attack, and the next day, both the Gazette and the Daily published a follow-up story. It contained the first reference to the name Falk Monster. The Associated Press and the United Press International Wire Services transmitted the articles to newspapers across the nation. Why would they do that? Fuck if I know. It's not like 1971 was a slow news year. It didn't take long for the story to snowball into a full-blown monster sensation that swept through the local area like a bad case of the clap through a Texarkana truck stop. By the epitome of class, style, and might. Little Rock Radio Station, K-A-A-Y, AM 1090, playing the hits for Arkansas and beyond, offered a reward for $1,090 for anyone who could find the monster in another local ponied up another 200 bucks, and soon enough, people armed with everything from tape recorders to automatic weapons to send it on Falk to hunt down the monster. There were more reports of the monster from all over the area. He was spotted snuffling around people's hog pens or their chicken coops or eating dog food or even walking down the highway like David Banner at the end of the Hulk. It went on for a couple of weeks until the locals got sick of the shit and finally three monster hunters were arrested for getting drunk and starting a fight, resulting, and I swear this is not me being a smartass, but they're being fined $59 for filing a false monster report. Which is illegal. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Finally, the flap died down and things went back to normal in Falk until... <laughs> Thank you.
and he is actually the topic of this week's show. Oh, come on, man. Look, the Falk monster is just a boring-ass man-monkey running around the swamp. Charles B. Pierce is a genuinely interesting character. Born in Indiana in 1938, he wound up in Hampton, Arkansas as a baby and spent his formative years of his life there dreaming of making movies, which is a thing that's said about future filmmakers, but in this case actually appears to be true. In the 1960s, he landed a job as the art director for a Louisiana television station, going on to become the station's weatherman and Mayor Chuckles of the Laugh-A-Lot Club. That sounds... Scarier than any movie he ever made? Yes, you would be correct. Additionally, Pierce also had a fairly successful advertising business, producing spots for local businesses across the southwestern United States. He eventually moved following his dreams and went to Hollywood, working as a set decorator for television and movies. So Pierce was nowhere near the Hollywood insider, but a lot of stories like to portray him as basically a backwoods chuckle fuck who had never seen a talking picture camera before when he was actually moderately accomplished in television and movies at the time of his big break. And that big break would come in the form of the Falk monster. Here in this primitive river bottom wilderness in Southern Arkansas, along with deer, duck, crane, and beaver, lurks a creature that walks upright. Whether it is a man, a monster, or a myth, no one really knows. What we do know is the people around Falk, Arkansas, say they have seen such a creature nearly 250 times since 1954. And that this creature, whatever it is, emits one of the most terrifying sounds ever recorded. The Legend of Boggy Creek, rated G. From a 1985 article in Filmmaker Magazine, quote, Inspired by a wave of chilling stories he heard firsthand about a Sasquatch-like monster haunting the swamps in the forest near the town of Falk. In collecting eyewitness testimonies, he set out to craft a faux documentary portrait of the fear and trembling that enveloped parts of that community. Pierce secured $160,000 in financing from an Arkansas trucking company magnet, L.W. Buddy Ledwell, for whom Pierce had done a visually striking hit commercial that played throughout the Southwest. Between October 71 and April of 72, with nine Texarkana high school kids moonlighting as his crew, Pierce shot his opus on a borrowed technoscope-capable camera, functioning as his own cinematographer. Upon picture wrap, he drove the exposed film cans to a lab in Burbank, California for processing. In editing, interviews were paced with staged dramatic sequences and underscored by a number of original home-style folk tunes provided by composer Jamie Mendozer Nava, who would become one of Pierce's key collaborators. The film made $55,000 in the first three weeks to play in the Perot Theater in Texarkana. When the legend of Boggy Creep expanded to other parts of the country, it eventually raked in a then-whopping $25 million in receipts, unquote. Not that it was easy. No major studio was going to release it, so Pierce, like they said, rented a theater in Texarkana 
and premiered it himself and brought in $55,000 in three weeks. That is over $350,000 in today's money in Texarkana. And that is a huge amount of money. That is Marvel Comics, Walt Disney, kind of opening box office. That got the attention of film distributors and soon enough, Boggy Creek was picked up for worldwide release and then went on to gross the aforementioned $25 million. I've seen The Legend of Boggy Creek and it was not, uh, well, it's not a good movie. Yeah, you can say that again. I mean, compared to its sequels, particularly that Pierce directed The Legend Continues, it's fucking Citizen Kane, but compared to the other films of 72, like The Godfather, Last Tango in Paris, or even its spiritual sibling Deliverance, it, uh, it wasn't great, but it was a hit with the drive-in movie crowd who were looking for a fun flick to watch while boning in the back seat. Times, huh? And even today, it holds up for a decent enough movie to watch with a bunch of people who like to make fun of movies. If you know Boggy Creek at all, you probably know it from Pierce's sequel, Boggy Creek 2, The Legend Continues, which was actually the third Boggy Creek movie, but that's not important right now. And it was lampooned by Mystery Science Theater 3000 and has reported a movie so bad that even Pierce wishes that he never made it, rightfully so. But Boggy Creek inspired a generation of filmmakers to experiment, and Pierce was at the forefront of indie film production and essentially created the horror documentary genre or rather the horror mockumentary might be more accurate since Pierce did not pretend the film was in fact fact. The creators of the inexplicably popular Blair Witch Project movie It sucked. Directly credit Boggy Creek as the inspiration for their turd of a movie and that also made a shit ton of money for filmmakers so what the hell do I know? All I can say is if anyone wants a mockumentary about an aging podcaster running around in the woods being chased by an annoying English twit, constantly complaining about my language and heavy drinking, hit me up. I got a script idea. Maybe we can get some rednecks and shaky cam footage and all be millionaires. After Boggy Creek, Pierce would go on to make several other movies with varying degrees of success, though never quite catching the fire like Boggy Creek. He made Bootleggers in 74, an action comedy film about rival families making moonshines in the Ozarks. Winterhawk, about an Indian chief from the Blackfoot tribe who attempts to get the help for his tribe that's been infected by smallpox, which actually did pretty well. Then came the town that dreaded sundown, loosely based on the 1946 Texarkana Moonlight Murders, a series of crimes attributed to an unidentified serial killer known as the Phantom Killer, which is actually a good fucking horror movie. I mean, the killer stabs a woman to death by taping a knife to a trombone slide. Hells yeah! Pierce himself would say about this movie later in an interview, quote, I've been accused of going a little too far off the deep end with that trombone scene, but it worked. When that picture played opening night in Texarkana, a lot of people who were there who had grown up during that time. When that trombone scene was over, you could have heard a pin drop. I'm telling you, everybody was just frozen. Unquote. After this came the Norseman, in which Lee Majors, aka the Bionic Man, aka the Fall Guy, plays a Viking who finds his way to the American West and is captured by Native Americans. But it was in 1983 that Pierce would bring his biggest named creation to the world as a writer, as not as a director. You see, Pierce had moved to Carmel, California, and there he became buddies with whom else but pre-dementia Clint Eastwood. And he showed Clint a film treatment he'd wrote, and Clint immediately saw this was the next 
Dirty Harry movie, and thus, Sudden Impact was born. Sudden Impact is not the best Dirty Harry movie, but Charles B. Pierce pinned the line from this movie that would essentially become Eastwood's I'll be back. Well, we're not just going to let you walk out of here. Who's we, sucker? Smith and Wesson and me? Go ahead, make my day. Technically, make my day is the famous line from this movie, but my boys and me back in the day always quoted the Smith and Wesson line on the firing range, not really realizing that Dirty Harry movies are just really fucking racist. According to Pierce, the make my day line came from his own father, who used to tell him, just let me come home one more day without you mowing that lawn, son. Just go ahead, make my day though he did not specify if his dad prefaced it with, I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? After Sudden Impact, Pierce's movie making pretty much dried up. He directed one more movie called Hawkins Breed about a fur trapper who steals or rescues or something. A Shawnee woman starring an aging Peter Fonda that was so bad it didn't even get a U.S. premiere despite being filmed and produced here. And he would continue to work in Hollywood for the rest of his life, working on shows such as, according to Wikipedia, quote, MacGyver, Remington Steel, The Twilight Zone, Fresno, a Carol Burnett miniseries parodying primetime soap operas. Pierce's work on that latter show earned him a primetime Emmy Award nomination for outstanding art direction in a miniseries or special, unquote. And it is a remarkable for career for a kid who is from, candidly, the shittiest portion of Arkansas to make a life and career in Hollywood. If his movies weren't high art, who the fuck am I to huck rocks? I mean, I'm doing a podcast about the man and his monster. That ain't high art either. Millions of people have watched his movie. He made millions of dollars to making them and was recognized by his peers. Maybe not with an Oscar, which he briefly thought he deserved after the original Boggy Creek. Oh, funny. Oh, no, no, no. He did get that primetime Emmy nod. So you have to salute a dude who made his way in the world and made one or two decent movies and a whole bunch of shitty ones. But that's how Hollywood works. I mean, come on. We've all seen the Marvel franchise and look how much money they're making. Now I hear you asking, Dave, what about the Falk monster? I don't think they exist. Well, the good people of Falk, Arkansas know what they know. And there's a lot of folks that, that were in the movie that still live here. Longtime Falk mayor Terry Purvis has no problem with Falk's movie star. Oh yeah, we love it. Uh, I mean, it's great for tourism. All 50 states have uh, been represented coming in here. 24 foreign countries, you know, been been in here. And get this. There's still, there's still people having sightings around here. And the people who see it often have proof. Photos and drawings and even plaster casts of footprints 
Denny Roberts' Monster Mart keeps getting bigger. It's been an ongoing process for the last 10 years, actually. I've been, been adding, adding, adding. For every artifact, a dozen stories, like the breathless woman who called the mayor just a few years ago. Well, you could tell the, the, the anxiety, the, the quivering in her voice. I mean, something happened, and she told us about the sighting that she just had. So who knows? Maybe out there. Somewhere on the bottomlands of southeastern Arkansas, along with the deer, the mosquitoes, the ticks, the ducks, the wild hogs, the gators, the meth labs, the pot grows, the white separatist militia camps, the dilapidated trailer homes, junked out cars, vape stores, one stoplight towns that still make sure black folks are out of that town by sundown between the interstates that carry you quickly by little towns to bigger, more interesting places like Texarkana, which actually ain't that big or that interesting, but it did have that one famous beer run back in the 1970s. We're just going to run over to Texarkana and pick up 400 cases of Coors. And bring it back in 28 hours. Whoa, I got a flash for you. That's called bootlegging and that's against the law. Or even all the way up to Hope, Arkansas, where an actual president is from. There might just be a monster there. Maybe in the thick swamps, there might just be a man-like creature who occasionally pops out to eat someone's dog food or rustle around their chicken coops. And on a dark, dark night, far, far from the bright lights of Falk or Stamps or Waldo or even Magnolia, while you sit by your fire with a piss-warm can of Miller in your hands, your trusty monster shooting gun nestled by your side, your buddies half-shit-faced and making jokes about how the monster wants to bone your mom, you might notice all of a sudden the woods got real quiet, and the frogs stopped frogging, and even the crickets stopped cricketing. You slowly put down your lukewarm can of beer on the ground by your feet and pick up your 30-06 and you stare into the darkness beyond your fire and that's it. You hear it. You can hear its high, lonely call in the night. <laughs> and you will know, you'll know, your buddy was taking his shit and fell backwards into his own poo. That is it for our show this week. This was a fucking fun episode to research, write, and perform. All I really knew about Charles B. Pierce was the MSTK riff on Boggy Creek 2. I had no idea the guy made so much money or had this kind of amazing career in Hollywood. Just goes to show how far a guy can go by putting out a shitty but entertaining product. It gives me hope for this podcast, really. Speaking of false hope, rate and review us wherever you are getting your pods. It gets other people to listen to it and be just as disappointed as Charles B. Pierce was with Boggy Creek 2, The Legend Continues. Speaking of disappointment, all of our skunk-smelling thoughts are on the social at the hell underscore podcast on Twitter or the show name on Facebook. You can find every redneck bashing episode we have ever recorded at whatthehellpodcast.com. Support our Bigfoot hunting endeavors by kicking us a buck on Patreon, patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. And we are a proud member of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network who like to remind us that insulting potential listeners by saying they live in a swampy shithole is not the way to grow an audience. 
So for me, Dave, Duncan, Gave, and Hoover Bledsoe, producer, Boston, Bahama, Gosh, Gavin, and all the fictional Kuganators on the show, we want to say they thought maybe they'd seen a hippie or a big old hairy bear, but when they saw them three-toed tracks, they knew that something was there. And we'll see you all next week. And she thought she'd had a bad dream Don't flew open, there's a gob of hair Six feet or more And everybody saw all it wanted to see So they all headed for the back door Door wasn't open, was an awful rush They went right on through And the monster just standing there scratching his head Cause he didn't know what to do What the hell were you thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings podcast network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast or on Facebook as what the hell podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.